Coming up this week on Breaking Badness, a minor Docker attack could let criminals make serious coin off your Docker environment. Then, a pie in the sky can pwn your iPhone, an iOS O-Day that you'll be very glad was patched. And we'll top it off with a good solid round of two truths and a lie. Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 69, recorded on the day which will live in infamy 2020. I'm your co-host, Tim Doesn't Ring LaBelle Helming. With me, co-host Chad, ready for this pun-free podcast, Anderson. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. And joining us after a bit of a sabbatical, welcoming back Taylor Rasslin Gators and Toddlers, Wilkes Pierce. How's everyone doing today? Doing all right. Doing well. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, it's good to have you here, uh, Taylor. How's how's things in Florida? <laughs> well, uh, you know, I'm I'm in Seattle, so I wouldn't know. <laughs> oh, for some reason, I thought you had gone back uh, back down to Florida. Okay, Chad, are you still uh, in Beachland? Still in Hawaii, yeah, blocked from the beach. Aloha. All right. Yeah. I have a much better tan than uh, my last recording. <laughs> we can tell it really comes through <laughs> on your audio. It's beautiful. <laughs> All <laughs> right. Well, you know, there's never a quiet week in InfoSec, and uh, I think this is uh, this is no exception to that. So, what have we got on tap? We've got a uh, a Docker attack for coin mining, and then we've got a pretty interesting iPhone attack. Which, uh, spoiler alert, it has been patched, but it's um, Taylor's going to tell us about that, and it's it's a little scary. Uh, it would be really scary if it hadn't been patched. But first what we're calling a minor Docker attack. And for you listeners who aren't reading the blog of this episode, that's minor with an E, because last week some researchers at Talos described a new coin miner, which they called Xanthe, and that's X-A-N-T-H-E, if you're listening and you want to Google it. It attempts to compromise Docker environments. So Chad, can you give us an overview on this particular attack? Certainly. And I will say it has been a pretty busy uh, week in InfoSec news. Um, there's, you know, the Microsoft Teams RCE, which was huge, um, and also a huge ransomware attack against Foxconn, plus plenty of other ransomware attacks. Chose this article, though, simply because I was tired of talking about ransomware. So um, I will tell people there's lots of important things going on, but uh, pay attention. Um, but for as for this one, um, it's pretty basic. You know, the this botnet scans the internet for open uh, Docker D configurations. Um, I checked on Shodan today, and there's about 6,000 open ones with open configurations. Um, and then it runs a download script. Uh, well, first it launches a container. Then it runs a download script, which pulls in Monero. Miner, um, as well as some tooling to spread laterally to other hosts via SSH. All pretty standard stuff in this department, um, as it's really just targeting, you know, that super low-hanging fruit out there to mine a little bit of cryptocurrency. Uh, you, you know, you almost can't call this hacking because it's that easy of a job. Right. Yeah. I, you know, I haven't paid a whole lot of attention to what's going on with mining botnets, but um, apparently there's quite a lot of them out there. So is it the case, Chad, that in order for Xanthi to get a foothold, uh, does the Docker instance have to be misconfigured? It does. And, you know, probably misconfigured is the best way to put that other than um, to say open. 
the Docker daemon should never be directly exposed to the internet, you know, without requiring some sort of authentication. Um, and I would consider this a misconfiguration rather than a fail open because you actually do have to go and change some settings to expose this to the internet. This is something that uh, whichever uh, administrator has been um, you know, configured it has had to do purposefully because when you first install Docker, it runs all on localhost, right? So, um, yeah, it's something that they have to choose to do. It's a it's choosing to make it unsafe. That's sort of fascinating to me. Tappity tap tap. Let's degrade the security yeah. here. Yeah. Just degrading some security. I'll we'll always fix it later, right? That's right. We'll fix it in post. Yeah, we'll fix it in post exploitation. Uh, <laughs> So there was one sentence in the Talos blog. This just killed me. And, you know, this maybe this is just me that I haven't noticed this. Uh, it, it wasn't elaborated on. It was just this little incidental note about a couple of bash scripts that are part of the main module. It says, two additional bash scripts terminate security services, removing competitors' botnets and ensuring persistence by creating scheduled cron jobs and modifying one of the system startup scripts. This is where the record scratch uh, sound effect comes in. Wait, <laughs> removing competitors' botnets. Yeah. I'm all of a sudden, you know, picturing this world where all these victim environments already have other botnets on them that are competing with resources. I mean, I guess that's just the sad state of affairs right now, huh? And that's that's literally what it's like. Yeah, and we've seen this with lots of other botnets in the past, um, particularly with like IoT devices or routers. Um, they'll come in and remove competitors uh, and the vulnerabilities that like got them their foothold in the first place, right? Um, that way they can use all their resources to their full advantage. You don't want someone else running a, another Monero miner and getting you know half of your coin out of that. You've got to get the cryptocurrency. Um, and, and on that same coin, you know, um, yeah, to use a crypto joke, uh, we've seen people uh, breaking into systems and then patching them um, when there's been particularly vulnerable routers and whatnot, or, or routers that have a backdoor. Um, that's also something that happens. So um, people go around and yeah, they remove their competitors, they, um, they patch bugs unwantedly. And, um, you know, the internet's just, it's a swamp. Yeah. <laughs> It's teeming with all kinds of vigilante activity, and some of it, uh, I suppose some of it maybe is is actually benevolent in some way. I, I remember hearing about the uh, the routers and um, some folks that were just going and patching routers, like, going to yeah. go, go patch some routers tonight, and what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even do that when I was in ops, you know? Uh, no, it's just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I think I can probably answer the, the next question I was going to ask you, if you're running or considering running a Docker environment, what are some things you need to pay particular attention to based on what we've seen with Xanthi? I'm going to just say, you know, as you said, probably don't do all those steps where you expose it to the internet when it wasn't exposed to the internet before. But uh, what would you say? Jason? Yeah, you know, it certainly, yeah, don't expose it to the internet at all. Um, I would say, you know, it's it's pretty cake to alias the the docker command um to then use ssh for management over you know and ssh is a far better um, way to go about this you know um and then run it locally on those machines i can't imagine that people's configurations are so complex that they require um a direct connection to um you know the open internet um it's it's kind of like uh you know i could see if people are running kubernetes or something have a bunch of docker containers under it but at that point you've got kube control and you know there's authentication rbac whatever um but so in this case though uh, there's 
really no reason for this to be happening. So, um, uh, they can't all be honeypots. Right? Yeah, I guess they could all be honeypots, but then if your honeypot is just being used to mine Monero, um, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, 6,000 honeypots would be, uh, very surprising. Yeah. It seems unlikely. It, it stretches, uh, credulity. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, well, thank you. And, uh, Taylor. What do you think uh, from a hoodie rating point of view? Where do you see the severity of this yeah. one? You know, it is almost quaint to be talking about a minor <laughs> instead of the last uh, months or weeks seemingly unending uh, stories of ransomware <laughs> uh, targeting folks out there. You know, given that you've got to have things so woefully misconfigured to begin with is to almost, uh, you know, make the resources behind something like this pretty small to begin with. Like to me, you know, we were, I, yeesh. I'd say, say a couple of hoodies and just one sleeve, I think. All right. Two point sleeve hoodies. Although, you know, this, I, you know, I think that when you think about uh, the history of uh, of mining ops and, and how they've been exploiting resources uh, out there in the wild, I wonder if this is just kind of the next evolution of that stuff, you know, from, you know, in the hosting industry, if you offer any type of free trials or anything, you're going to end up with lots of miners on your boxes, uh, you know, maybe exploiting the new kind of uh, DevOps uh, Docker, Docker containers of the world is a, is a kind of a new way to, to, to get at that coin. Seems like there's always there's always a multitude of things out there that you can just decide, you know, what are we going to go inhabit today to put a miner on it? Okay, so two-point sleeve hoodies from Taylor. What's a sleeve? Sleeve's probably about like 200 milli hoodies or something like that. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Chad, what do you think? You know, I, I would put this one at like three out of 10 hoodies. I just... You know, it seems ridiculous that it's uh, something that has to be talked about still, um, you know, but we've seen a couple of these Docker botnets crop up and some people using them to, uh, you know, same with the Kubernetes one um, a little bit ago that was exploiting open cube control entrances. So, um, you know, I see it as like, it's not super uh, scary because um, I would hope that anyone who's actually good at this, um, you know, job locks their Docker instances down. But um, all this stuff that's exposed is just going to get used anyways. It does raise an interesting philosophical question for us here of like, how do we do the hoodie calibration for self-inflicted wounds? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You can't complain about being cold after you've ripped the sleeves and the hood off your hoodie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, hey, thank you, uh, Chad. Thank you for giving us a little bit of a break from uh, ransomware. And we're going to continue not talking about ransomware. Um, Taylor, a pie in the sky can pwn your eye phone. So we learned last week of a pretty major iOS zero day, which would allow an attacker to wirelessly reboot and gain access to your iPhone, stealing photos, messages, and more. The vulnerability behind this attack was patched in iOS 13.5. So if you are running an older iOS version, pause the podcast, <laughs> update your iOS, and then rejoin us. So Taylor, the write-up uh, on this by Google Project Zero, it was pretty epic. Uh, that was, it was 30,000 words. So can you distill 30,000 words down to 
I don't know, 50 or something reasonable. Give us a just a quick overview of what this thing was. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so uh, this is from the Project Zero folks at Google, specifically Ian uh, Beer, who's been poking on iOS stuff for a while now. Uh, and at this one, he leveraged AWDL, which is the Apple Wireless Direct Link. It's a low latency, high speed Wi-Fi peer-to-peer connection uh, used by Apple for everything that you might expect. So stuff like Air Airdrop, uh, so sending photos from uh, and you know, any of the different uh, iOS devices or, or macOS devices, even the watches, like unlocking your uh, Mac with your watch, utilizes this. Uh, you know, sets up its own local Wi-Fi ad hoc network between these devices. Uh, and so the way that Apple has spun this is, is everything for. for that they do with iOS and really is fairly closed source, uh, as you might expect. Um, uh, but this kind of starts back in 2018, uh, Ian's uh, research. Before, prior to him, there's a, a group trying to open up some of these AWDL capabilities for interoperability, and it's called the Open Wireless Link Project, or OWL for short, and they operate out of out of Germany. Uh, so you can find them at owllink.org. And so in 2018, they disclosed a vulnerability uh, uh, kind of variation on a theme here that allows you to crash iOS remotely using AWDL. Uh, and so they had this fun video. And, you know, the videos even on Ian's blog are fantastic. Uh, but, you know, you see all these iPhones just kind of wink and reboot at the same time uh, once he runs the exploit, which is pretty powerful stuff. And so they they found this in 2018. They disclosed a vulnerability. This was patched. Uh, and Ian started picking up here. Uh, and so, you know, iOS is really tricky to work with. Lots of proprietary closed sources. But in 2018... Apple shipped an iOS beta build that leaked some of the function names uh, from the kernel cache. And so that gave researchers like Ian a lot of additional context. So instead of um, black boxes for everything, they at least had uh, titles and names for for the different functions that they could start poking on. And so he was just randomly poking on some of these and found a function related to parsing uh, AWDL connections. started digging into the assembly underneath everything and leveraging some of that work from the OWL team, uh, chained together a few exploits uh, that uh, you know initially allowed him to reboot stuff and then allowed him to view the photos and read emails and copy private messages. Uh, and finally, the most advanced exploit that he discovered allows him to use a Raspberry Pi and an off-the-shelf uh, Wi-Fi adapter, probably from the usual suspects that you might imagine in this space uh, for uh, inspecting frames and doing all that fun stuff that you need to do for this to install a prototype implant in about two minutes uh, on an on an iOS device uh, that is kind of within AWDL range, so primarily within kind of the same room. Although he did note that if you kind of pumped up the juice on the antennas, you might be able to make this go even broader uh, than than just that. And so uh, he said that even though this took him a couple of minutes to to get the implant on there, that ultimately uh, if if he had had more resources and worked on it, that eventually you could shave this down. To, to mere seconds. Uh, and so it was interesting because I, I, I remembered when the security patches came out uh, back in May or so and kind of hearing rumblings like, hey, you really need to update your iPhones without a ton of explanation from Apple as to why. Uh, and so I, I imagine that if this had this blog post had dropped, then we would have all um, kind of gone, oh, yes, that makes a lot more sense. Uh, and so one of the interesting things is that when uh, those patches came out back in May, some, uh, some other 
cybersecurity researchers noted on Twitter some of the very specific things that they were patching that were kind of related to this AWDL stuff. So while Ian uh, has, there's no known exploits for this that were out in the wild, it does appear that there were other folks that were barking around the same trees for these uh, these type of exploits. Uh, so you know it's possible that you know you know this is just Ian on his own spending six months uh, cracking on this, but the, there's a lot of organizations out there out in the wild that uh, kind of live and, and breathe these things and live and die by these things. I'm thinking like NSO Group in particular and maybe a few others out there. Uh, it's an interesting quote that stood out to me from the article. He said, as things stand now in November 2020, I believe it's quite possible for a motivated attacker with just one vulnerability to build a sufficiently powerful weird machine to completely and remotely compromise top of the range iPhones. So, you know, when he deployed this, the, he was deploying this on the most recent iPhones at the time, the iPhone 11 Pros. Uh, but now that we're in 12 and 12 pro lands, I think he, he, he thinks that this is still very capable of happening uh, for folks who are dedicated enough to try and find these things. A lot of stuff in there. There's thank you uh, for that, Taylor. There's quite a lot to, uh, as they say these days, unpack. And uh, um, I have a couple of follow on questions, one of which is um, you mentioned that uh, a few years ago, Apple leaked some of these function names in uh, in beta code. Are you aware of other exploits that have occurred uh, because of, that are kind of attributable to that leak? Or is this the first one that, that you've heard of that that specifically referenced that? It's funny because I don't know that we get all the etymology behind <laughs> everything if stuff gets patched silently. So it's possible there's a lot more out there that we don't uh, have a good idea about. It's possible that OWL folks, uh, you know, I know they were kind of reverse engineering some of the Broadcom uh, code related to this to get to some of the interoperability. So they've got, uh, you know, working interops with Raspberry Pis or at least some, um, some demos of how you could airdrop things to those um, that might also be taking advantage of this, but not 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 off the top of the head that I can think of. Gotcha. Okay. So um, so where was it specifically in the in the iPhone's code that the vulnerability actually uh, lies? I think you may have already mentioned that, but uh, just to repeat that, wh where is the where was the patched vulnerability? What what module was it in? Yeah. So it had to do with the way that AWL uh, AWDL handles connections, how it handles um, kind of finding new things to connect uh, the, the little tiny Bluetooth low energy uh, connections that are that our devices, our iOS devices are kind of making all the time. Uh, he was able to uh, start to predict those uh, and then start to exploit those and then start to exploit the memory up of so once he started pulling on the thread uh, you know it eventually just becomes kind of your like a uh, overflow uh, and then it allows you to start pulling stuff off of the device yeah yeah you could see how it sort of accelerated if you read his blog um, as he progressed through it um, yeah, that's interesting stuff. Okay, so uh, and I think you you described pretty well, at least as well as you can with an uh, exploit this complex, what the attacker has to do to exploit it. Um, so it's great that this has been patched. Uh, I'm sure there are some iPhones out there that are still running a vulnerable version of iOS. Do you think it's likely that there are folks out there who are actively trying to exploit this vulnerability, even knowing that they're Populate, you know, their target population is probably not huge, but is this something somebody would spend some time 
trying to exploit, or are they just kind of moving on because the majority of phones are probably, you know, beyond that patch at this point? No, I, I would fully expect folks to be poking on this for a while. Uh, as Ian, one of the, another takeaway from his article says that oftentimes the, the best place to find bugs is right next to other bugs. So, yeah, that's uh, a good point. I think you're going to see people poking on this just also because it is a bit of, um, you know, now a fully remote, uh, exploit that you could kind of perform over the internet would certainly rise above this in terms of, of scariness for, for iOS users. Uh, but certainly a silent uh, wireless connection that can drop an implant on your device and then start to peel off private messages, uh, start to monitor everything that's happening on the device once it's on there. You know, that's uh, a very powerful tool that I don't expect anybody to stop poking on this anytime soon. Yeah, that makes total sense. And, and as we open it up here and I'll uh, get your hoodie ratings in just a second it occurs to me listening to you describe that we we live in the era of self-constructing mesh rf networks and that's kind of new territory in a lot of ways right and it's there's a lot about it that's extremely cool and there's a lot about it that's kind of scary but that you know that's that's where we are that's not going to change um and so with that in mind, as well as just the, the story itself, as uh, Taylor described it, Chad, what's your hoodie rating for this one? Yeah, this is a hard one, actually, because, uh, you know, with it being patched um, and I know how uh, quickly Apple works on these things and will will push um, updates out and how, you know, Apple users love to get the new shiny. So they're probably already updated, um, but it. It's worrisome to me reading about this attack that they were handling memory in such an unsafe manner that, um, you know, was dealing with some something that was wireless. So um, I think that Taylor's right that people are going to be poking um, for more vulnerabilities of this type um, for a little bit, uh, you know, because it's a, just interesting all around. Um, and... Yeah, that we'll hopefully see that this has kicked off some sort of Apple code review internally to go and find um, anywhere that they're um, handling things unsafely like that, uh, particularly when dealing with any you know stack that's wireless. Um, anyways, uh, that being said, just because this is patched and and whatnot, um, I, until we see another bug come out, I'm going to lean into five out of ten on this one, um, just because I I do think that that Apple people in general will. Um, update rather quickly. Uh, I know most people are already on iOS 14, I believe. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Taylor, what about you? Yeah, you know, I'm in a similar neighborhood. I'm probably going to go, I don't know, seven hoodies just based off of the if it's one of those things where he even mentions kind of at the end of his article, hey, there's still a lot of legacy code in iOS uh, that that uh, you know is is not going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, you know, and the number of folks that are writing new code compared to the number of security researchers that can uh, appropriately vet that is uh, you know generally. You know, one to twenty or one to forty or so. <laughs> so you know, a you have to you have to fix the legacy code. B you have to make sure that your the new code that you write is up to spec. Uh, you know, I think that, that this 
I, you know, just given the other tweets kind of out in the wild of, of other researchers who were, again, uh, in the same neighborhood as, as Ian was. Um, but obviously they weren't looking to the, these folks weren't necessarily going the full disclosure route <laughs> instead. Uh, yeah, for me, I'm probably seven hoodies. Uh, again, it's a, a remote silent exploit of of, uh, of an iOS device is that's a scary thing right uh, now. You are right, Chad, that iOS users tend to update pretty quickly. Um, I mean, it doesn't help that we're <laughs> that we just got widgets like a month and a half ago. But it kind of suggests there's going to be an arms race here. I mean, there's always an arms race. But in this particular area, uh, yeah, this is the, I, undoubtedly this has got a lot of attention on the good side and the not so good side of things. So I think this will kind of end up being like, you know. <sighs> Is it's one of those attacks that it's so cool to watch, you know, when you do watch the video. Um, and remember when all of the timing attacks first came out for um, Intel machines um, or Intel processors, right? And then um, there was just more and more people doing research into different timing attacks. And we got a bunch of, you know, things that came after that. I, I'm guessing it'll be a similar thing. Like there's an attack that a lot of people were thinking like, oh, you know, it could possibly be that, um, you know, memory would be handled this poorly on the other side. <laughs> like... Sure enough, you know, now everyone's out there probably fuzzing every wireless stack that they can to be like, oh, what else can I do remotely? Yeah, just ask it for um, memory and, you're not supposed to have and see what happens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sometimes the answer will be, here you go. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, interesting stuff. And yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if on some future Breaking Badness, we hear more about a related, uh, something related to this. So very good. Okay. Well, those are those are a couple fascinating stories for this week. We managed to avoid ransomware so far. We'll see if we still do, because now, without further ado, it's time for America's favorite party game, Two Truths and a Lie, InfoSec style. Each week, as you may know, one of us will come prepared with three article titles, two of which are real, and one of which is a shameless, bald-faced lie. Now, everyone involved in this podcast is about as cutthroat as it gets. So we created a point system whose inner workings you can find somewhere on our openly exposed Docker instance out there on the web. I'm kidding. Whoever's the designated dolos, the Greek god of trickery and guile, which means sly or cunning intelligence, is trying to trick the other two participants, in this case, Chad and Taylor. As this week's dolos, I will receive a point... For every participant I deceive, on the other hand, if one or both of the participants guess correctly, they receive a point. So with that, let the games begin. And here we go. Kmart capitalizes on ransomware attack to remind the world it still exists. That's right. <laughs> they did get uh, attacked with. So I told you we couldn't we couldn't avoid ransomware entirely this week. It's just the way it is. The moment you said Kmart, I just thought they, they're still around. Um, that's the part I... I couldn't believe. That's right. All right. And our second uh, story, all your base are belong to Borat. So it turns out that Kazakhstan in the capital is uh, man in the middling all the HTTPS traffic. I wonder what that could be all about. Or our third story this week, Avira was on John McAfee's Christmas list. And uh, $360 million later, it's his, that's right, McAfee, acquires the German antivirus firm Avira. So, uh, Taylor, as our guest from, uh, from back from your sabbatical, what do you think? <laughs> 
I so I you know I am very bad at this. I think that I have I have fallen for every single one of Kelsey's uh, fake stories every time. Um, I, I just can't help it. Um, so let's see here. The first one was the blue light special from Kmart. Uh, That's right. It, the second one was the uh, which one was that the. That is all your base are belong to Borat because in Kazakhstan they are man in the middling HTTPS traffic at scale. That I do believe hundred yeah, percent. Nice. That makes <laughs> that that makes uh, the most sense. And then McAfee purchasing a Vera. I, I haven't seen anything in the news on that. Uh, I'm gonna go with that first one. I just uh, I got a hard time believing that Kmart has enough stuff to to ransom. All right, so. Uh, <laughs> Kmart it is for Taylor. Uh, Chad, what do you think? Yeah, uh, I really want to go with the first one because I feel like you just brought it up for nostalgia purposes and you like almost use Toys R Us as ransomware to like really, you know, like hook me. Um, but and I also feel like I would have read about the uh, McAfee purchasing of Vera. Maybe I just have completely been out of the news. Um, Kazakhstan, of course, absolutely makes sense. Um, why would you not? Lots of natural minerals there. Um, Got to see where all the uh, traffic's going. But um, so <laughs> I'm going to go with uh, Avira being purchased because um, I I just want a competitor to target to still exist. Well, very good. Okay, so we got uh, we have points this week. Then uh, one by yours truly and by chad so it turns out the kmart ransomware story absolutely is true kmart does still exist and they did get hit with ransomware i think they probably demanded like three dogecoins or something because i don't know how much (laughs) they've got in their coffers and chad good job on the avira actually avira was purchased for 360 million dollars this week but it was purchased by norton not by mac oh so interesting uh, well done. But yes, they were they were acquired. So, well, guys, thank you. Uh, it was a busy week, as you mentioned. And these were a couple of really interesting stories to go through. So thanks so much, Taylor. Thank you for rejoining us. And uh, it's great to have you on here. And Chad, making us jealous with that beach there. So uh, with that, that will wrap it up for, for this week. So thanks so much. Aloha. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at domaintools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. That's all we have for this week. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and play.